Good morning. Our passage today is from Matthew 3, verses 1 through 6. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all of Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. The word of the Lord. Good morning, Grant. Good morning, Stuart. Thank you. And good morning, New Hope. It is good to be with you this morning as we are launching a brand new series called The Realistic Rhythms of Grace. And so thanks for joining us here. I know there's a group online that are watching us as well right now, so welcome. Uh, thanks for joining us. I know that it's not always easy to make it on a Sunday morning, but I'm excited about this series. And if you and I have not met, my name is Grant. I'm one of the pastors at our church, and you're like, wait a minute, what does that mean? Well, maybe you heard that we're now four campuses that are better together. And so I'm a guy that gets to serve on the central team uh, for all four campuses. Campuses. What does that mean? It means I get to pastor four campuses, and I love it. Uh, it's super fun. And so I coach churches in the area, but I also get to help develop staff and serve on our executive team there. And so this is fun for me uh, to get over here. I was here uh, months ago. It was probably like a year ago as well. And I think you've, I like what you've done with the place since then. Uh, there's some things that have changed, and it looks, it looks great. And so, uh, again, thanks for being with us. This series is going to be six weeks uh, into it. And really what we're doing is we're in inviting you to lean into a season. Maybe you're new to church or just new to church history. And uh, there's this thing called the church calendar. It's something that's been around for centuries. And it's something that a lot of the church around the world follows. Now, uh, because there's freedom within our faith, some churches follow it uh, very almost legalistically, right? Like it's everything they do is by the church calendar. They know what they're going to preach, when they're going to preach it, how it's going to go. And they're very beholden to it. And to not follow the church calendar is like anathema to them. It's like, you just don't do that. Um, others, it's like, no, we love the church cal calendar and we value it. Uh, but there's sometimes things that God is doing for our body and we need to not follow it so strictly. And then we have seasons like this where as a team, as a teaching team, we went, hey, this year, let's lean into it a little bit more. And so that's the invitation of this. Now, for some of you, when you hear that, you're like, yes, I love the church calendar and I'm excited about it. And others of you are like, I'm not Catholic for a reason, <laughs> right? And so, so don't be scared. Don't be worried. I promise you, it's, it's, it's a great thing where we get to enjoy the rhythms of our faith. And one of those is the rhythm of Lent. And now Lent is, is something that's going to be starting February 14th. That's also Valentine's Day. Okay, and so, so it's starting February 14th. And so what we're doing is this week and next week are sort of a setup to prepare you for the Lent season. We're trying to tell you, rather than being like, hey, congratulations, it's here. And you're like, what, how did we do this, right? No, this is you buying the Christmas presents before Christmas morning, okay? We're giving you a little bit of a heads up that this is coming. And Lent is a fairly simple concept. Lent is a time where as followers of Jesus, 
We remember him and we prepare for him. Both the, the grief of the crucifixion and the joy of the celebration on Easter Sunday. And so we're just going to prepare ourselves for that. It's a time of focus. It's a time of self-reflection and spiritual renewal through the rhythms of our faith. Rhythms like repentance, which is what we're going to talk about this morning. Rhythms like fasting, which is next week. Like prayer, like charity and alms, which is really just generosity. And if you hear all those rhythms and you're like, wait a minute, those sound familiar, that probably means that you have been through Rooted, where in Rooted you learn more about these seven rhythms in Rooted, of which Lent is a part of that because the church has been doing these forever. And if you're hearing me say Rooted and you're like, what is Rooted? It's not too late. You should sign up for Rooted. Next week, we're launching. You can go to the info desk right now. It really is your your best first group here to plug in and just learn more about our faith and get to know each other a little bit. And this entire series then is an invitation to us. And and I want us to see it as invitation because since the moment that Jesus Christ showed up on earth, he's been inviting us into relationship with him. That's really a huge part of why God, fully God, fully man, Jesus in the flesh, what we call the incarnation came, was to mend relationship between God, our creator and us. This relationship had been broken and Jesus came to say, hey, I want to build relationship with you, die on a cross and rise again so that we can have relationship. But it's always an invitation. In fact, when Jesus showed up, he showed up to the people of Israel. And he was announcing to them and saying, hey, Israel, I'm calling you back to me to to reorient your life, to even change your way of thinking. And and especially around the, the thinking that other people have told you of how to think about God. I want to invite you in to a relationship with me. And one of the accounts of Jesus that we have comes in Matthew chapter three. Now, in Matthew chapter 3, this is an account of Jesus' life written by Matthew, who was one of follower, the followers of Jesus. And so it's a, his firsthand account. And like any good story, there's backstory to begin with. And so in Matthew chapter 1, we get some of the backstory of Jesus. It's a genealogy that is there. It's his bloodline of that. And that we know that Jesus was born from the line of David, which for the Israelites and for you and me that understand scripture, we go, oh, that's, that's a really big deal. So Matthew chapter 1 is that. Hey, the Old Testament said that Jesus was going to come in the line of David. The Messiah would come. That has happened. Chapter two, we get a little bit more about Jesus's life as a child and a young, maybe teenager and and what's going on there. And then Matthew fasts forward. And in chapter three, we begin to see the introduction of the ministry of Jesus as an adult. And so Matthew, because he's great, he's like, here's the backstory. Okay, here's everything that you need to know. Here's the prologue. Okay, now chapter three, let's jump in to the story. And it's introduced with this guy named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus. And so he is already doing ministry out in the wilderness. And he's calling people specifically, if you you read John's story, the word that he uses over and over and over again is repent. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. I don't know your background, but maybe when you hear the word repent, you're like, ugh. That's a churchy word. Like that, that's not something you're going to hear from any of our politicians or on the nightly news. 
right? We talk about that in church. And so maybe, maybe you hear the word repent and you're like, no, that's a judgy word. Like that's, a, I, I don't want to do that, right? It, maybe the thing you hear with it is not yucky, but you hear this word like, yeah, yeah, repent. Well, if you know anything, maybe you can remember English, right? When there's no subject in the sentence, the word, there's an implied subject in the beginning and it's an implied you, so when it says, repent, repent, the kingdom of God is near, the, the implication is you repent. And maybe you hear that statement and we'll read it again in a minute and you hear, yeah, exactly, you repent. <laughs> right, like the implied you is still other people. It's not like, oh no, the implied you is me. Right, because I know I hear that and I'm like, yeah, I know some people that need to repent. Like I got some friends that need to repent. I got some family that needs to repent. I got some frenemies that need to repent. Jerry Jones needs to repent of keeping Mike McCarthy around for another season, right? Like, like I, that's a sports joke, okay? Like I, there, there's some stuff that I, I'm, I'm like, yeah, you repent. But that's not what it means, is it? It's like, oh, I, I've got to open up and examine myself. And in Matthew chapter three, that's exactly what John is calling people to. But we'll see in the text, there's two groups of people that John the Baptist is calling out. There's one group that comes from Jerusalem and Judea and the surrounding cities. Remember, John is out in the wilderness, away from the city at the Jordan River, calling people to this. And so you have to leave the city to go. And so there's a throng of people that are, are, are the normal, everyday folk that are coming out to John and saying, yeah, like I'm going to repent. And then there's the Pharisees and the Sadducees that we're going to see. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are some of the more maybe religious elite of the society. They're the Thinkers, they know what the Bible says and they tell other people what the Bible says and how other people should follow the Bible, but like they kind of follow it however they want to follow the Bible. And so you've got that group of people as well. So you have one group that's hearing this guy in the wilderness say, hey, come and repent. And they're like, okay, yeah, I'm going to go do that. And then you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees that are like, hold up. Who is this untrained, uncouth, unkept guy in the wilderness that's calling people to something that is repentance that we know the Bible talks about because we're the religious people. So they come and they check out what's happening. And so you're going to see these two groups of people with very different responses in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came into the wilderness of Judea proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. For he is the one about whom the prophet Isaiah has spoken. The voice of one shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing made from camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his diet consisted of locusts and wild honey. The people from Jerusalem, as well as all of Judea and the region around the Jordan, were going out to meet him. And he was baptizing them in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You offspring of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, produce fruit that proves your repentance. And don't think that you can say to yourselves, Oh, see, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God could raise up children from Abraham from these very stones. In fact, even now the ax is laid at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. 
I come baptizing you with water for repentance, but the one coming after me is more powerful than I am. I am not worthy to even carry his sandals. You see, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clean out his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the storehouse, but the chaff will burn up with an inextinguishable fire. Now there's a whole lot to unpack in this text and and I wish we had time for all of it, but I, I wanna just point out and highlight a few things for us. You see, Matthew begins this section reminding us who John the Baptist is. He's going, hey, remember the Old Testament, Psalm chapter two, there was this prophecy about uh, somebody called a Messiah, a savior, a king that would come and rescue the people. Isaiah talks about this as well. Remember that guy? See Matthew chapter one, I've already told you he's come. His name is Jesus. There's also other prophecies in the book of Isaiah about someone that is going to come before the Psalm chapter two Messiah. And this person is going to call us repentance. And that is John the Baptist. He's here. So Matthew begins going, hey, just as the Messiah was prophesied about, so is his front runner, the person to come before him. That's John the Baptist. Now, the Baptist, that's not his last name. It's a nickname because of what he's doing. Okay, which we're familiar with, right? You've got like Vlad the Impaler, right? That is there. You, you've got um, Andre the Giant. You have Chance the Rapper, right? Like, like we understand the concept of the person is so well known for doing something that that becomes like a moniker with their name. And so John the Baptist is the Bible has prophesied and said would happen. He's out baptizing people. And then we see the two groups. Those from the surrounding cities that come and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. One group shows up to lean in, the other one shows up to lord over. Oh, one group comes in admitting, going, hey, yeah, let me confess my sins. I, I, I need to get this off of my chest. I need to make this relationship right. And the other one comes in going, mm, I don't know about this, and, and shaming and cynical and, and pointing fingers and poking holes. In other words, one comes in repenting and the other comes in resisting. And these are the two groups that are there and the invitation to them is to come and repent. Well, what in the world is repentance? Again, that's a churchy word, right? It's a a big question. We're going to unpack more of that. But the reason we need to unpack and really understand what repentance is is because As a follower of Jesus, one of the things that I've been convicted of over the last probably decade is that the longer I follow Jesus, the more and more the temptation is for me to be one of the Pharisees and Sadducees rather than the people coming from the city. I've been following Jesus for over three decades. I have degrees that say I'm a master in things of theology which I still try to get my wife to call me master and it doesn't work so well. <laughs> like it's, you called, you know, doctor's doctor. I'm just saying, this is the thing. And she's like, not in my house. <laughs> it means that, that I, I've been following Jesus so long that sometimes I forget that I can be the Pharisee or the Sadducee. And the invitation to both groups is the same. And so Lent is a season all about letting the Holy Spirit come in and examine me. 
being aware of my own faults and downfalls, or maybe not, and just inviting God in to say, God, would you make me aware of these? I, I, I don't want to fall into the camp of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and yet I understand that temptation. And so let's begin to unpack what repentance is. Repentance, as is, is I've studied it, sort of has three steps to it. There is, I believe, an order to this that you'll see throughout scripture with one goal. And the first thing is that repentance is first an inward movement. It's first this, it's an inward thing for us. Now you may hear it's repentance is an inward movement and you're like, oh, what does that mean? You might call it conviction. You might call it uh, a nagging. You might call it your uh, conscience. You might call it a, a longing. You might call it Jiminy Cricket for all I know. I would call it the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is doing something on the inside. Maybe you're a thinker and it begins in your head. Maybe you're a feeler and it begins in your heart. Or maybe it's bouncing between the two all the time. But there's some sort of an inward thing that's happening in you. That's there and when that happens, you have a choice. The same as the crowd or the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you have a choice. To listen to that inner conviction or not. To pay attention to it or to ignore it. If you read all throughout scripture from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, you'll see that God is constantly calling people to repentance. Now sometimes, sometimes God calls you to repentance through people. Right in, in scripture, you see places where prophets call people to repentance. You see places where angels call people to repentance. You see uh, situations where, where people around them that are in their life, family and friends come. There's even one spot where a donkey calls somebody to repentance. Just God, re like if, he, if you're really not paying attention and animals start talking, you're like, okay, uh, is this Narnia? I don't know, but I'm in. Right? God, God is using his creation to call us back to himself. But one of the things I know is that no person can really convict me of anything. Only the Holy Spirit can. The Holy Spirit is the one that does the conviction. So yes, it may come through the voice of someone in your life, but you can ignore that. It's the internal movement of the Spirit that you have to pay attention to. This happens in my life all the time. Most often, the person that calls me to repentance is my wife. Like she's the voice that God most often uses. And I think there's a reason for that, right? Because the people that we're closest to, they can see the unhealthy patterns in our life before we see them ourselves. It's one of the reasons that we talk about, hey, jump into women's community, get in a circle here, go through it, do life with people in a circle so that they can be in life and see patterns and have permission to call those out on you because that's part of growing in our faith together. And so for often, it's, it's the people in our lives that, that call that stuff out. But, but here's why I know that no person can really convict me. Is from time to time, more often than I should admit, my wife will call something out in me. And she comes to me and she's like, hey, I need to be honest with you. Here's what you're doing. I don't think that's healthy. I don't think it's good. And I look at her in that moment and I'm like, uh-uh. <laughs> I mean, I wish I said it that nice, right? And maybe we argue about it. And, and with that, I, I just don't listen. I don't listen to her because no person can make me change. Like, I'm just hearing it, right? Oh, I've got to be willing to hear it. And often in the moment when the person is calling it out, I'm not in a position or a posture to hear it right then. But you know what happens? 
I walk away from that situation, the getting called out. Maybe my blood pressure goes down. I get out of my reptilian brain into my prefrontal cortex. And then I'm sitting there and I'm like doing the Bible devotion and I'm sitting with the spirit and silence and prayer and solitude and going, hey God, would you just speak to me in this? Like, God, what do you, what do you have for me right now? And as I sit there and I listen for the spirit, it happens where the spirit goes, hey, hey dude, she's right. You need to own up to it. The spirit is doing the conviction on the inside. Yes, it was the words that were used to get there, but I can ignore that. But sitting with God and saying, God, would you do something in me? Man, that's where it begins. But this is the hard part, right? Because you and I don't see that happening in each other. It stays internal at this point. Sometimes, sometimes the spirit calls me out and it's just a subtle shift. It's, It's a small thing. The spirit's like, man, I'm just trying to sharpen you just a little bit. And other times it's like, no, you're really dull. We, we've got to make a huge shift here. And it's a drastic thing. And it's in that moment that I have a choice because it's relationship. And just like the Pharisees, I can lord over or like the crowd, I can lean in. I have a choice. It's on this idea that one of my earliest mentors in ministry, a guy named Jason Goings, I'll never forget him talking about this idea. And he said, there comes this moment when you have that inner conviction, that moment where you're like, I know, I, I've been called out. I know what I should do. And he said, it's, it's like in that moment, a giant door gets put in front of you. And it's your choice to then walk through the door. And it's huge. It, it's, it's massive. But so often in that moment, what happens is I stay outside and I begin to make excuses. Well, I mean, do I really need, what I did wasn't that big of a deal, right? I mean, they, they, they just shouldn't be so hurt about it. Like, I was stressed out. Like, life has been busy and hard. I was hangry. Well, had they not done X, then I wouldn't have done Y, right? The door is there. You've got the conviction, but it's inward still. And you begin to just make excuses about why you don't need to walk through it. And Jason said, what happens in that moment is the door then gets a little bit smaller. Oh, I could still go through it, but now I've got to duck down a little bit to get through. But I make more excuses and the door gets even smaller. And then enough time goes by that it gets so small that I look down at it. I'm like, I'm not crawling through that. And I walk away. And I miss the opportunity to repent as God is calling me to until I do the thing again and then the door gets big again and I go through the whole thing again. You see, it begins with this inward movement that is a choice. And during Lent, we purposefully put ourselves in positions to say, God, what would you have me do? We do it through spiritual rhythms like fasting and confession and listening prayer and seeking out the thing. And I know that can sound scary. But can I tell you that as you walk through the door, it becomes one of the most freeing things you can ever do in your life because you find grace on the other side of it. And so you realize you don't actually have to hide anything anymore. So if it begins with an inner movement or an inner moment, then the second step is that repentance is verbal. 
Repentance always brings with it a, a verbal idea that, that, that once I walk through the door, I've got to say out loud the thing that I've been wrestling with on the inside. This is what we would call confession in the church. Now, again, if you come from a Catholic background, there's all sorts of things around what that means, right? And so we're going to do an entire sermon in this series on confession. So I won't belabor this now. But let me just a little window into it that often with confession isn't just admitting out loud what I have done. It's often also apologizing for it. And I mean like really apologizing. Not, not when you go to the person and you're like, hey, so here's the thing. I just need you to know I'm sorry for what I've done. But you know, had you not. <laughs> See, some of you grew up in the same households I did. Right? The moment there's a but after that, you're like, the apology doesn't matter. Right? No, no, no. Own, admit that I have hurt someone. But that's hard for us because it feels like we're admitting to failure. You are. <laughs> right? So, so why be afraid of it? We all fail all of the time. Like, I shouldn't be afraid by that. In fact, I think it takes bravery to step forward and go, man, that, wasn't, that was not okay for me. That was not my best side. And I am sorry for that. By the way, when you do that, the other person you're doing it to, they already know. <laughs> like, they already know that you screwed up. And so you admitting it just helps them go, oh, thank you, I'm glad you see that too. Right? We think we're protecting ourselves by hiding it, but we're not. We're actually separating the relationship more and more from one another. Now, sometimes this verbal aspect can be me to another person. There's somebody that God has convicted me that I have hurt, that I have wronged. Whether I meant to or not doesn't matter. I have. And I need to go and apologize. I need to go own up to that. Sometimes it's just between me and God. One of my favorite little interesting things in scripture is that if you read the book of Job, which we don't have time to dive into all of that, but Job's life is great. And then it's really bad. And then his friends show up and they tell Job that the reason his life is bad are because all of these things that he has done, none of which he did. And then he shows up and he's talking with God and God calls Job to repentance, not for anything he has done, but for the way that Job has been thinking about God. That's convicting. And so sometimes it's just me sitting with God and God going, hey, you've had this way of thinking about me and I, I need you to adjust that. And I go, man, God, you're right, I do. I do. Thank you for revealing that in me. And so step one is just saying yes to that internal movement that God is doing. And step two is just saying out loud the thing that you know to be true already inside of you. And then we move into step three, which is repentance is action. There is some sort of an actionable item, something that we need to do after this. This is what John is calling the Pharisees out for. It's why he has such harsh language for them. Because they're coming and they're kind of watching from a distance what's going on. And John's assumption is like, oh, they're here to get baptized as well. And yet he's looking at them and he's like, guys, based on the fruit and the stuff I'm seeing in your life, I've never heard you admit to doing anything wrong, which makes me question whether there was ever an internal movement to begin with. And so he's going, hey, Pharisees and Sadducees, what I actually need to see from you is the outward thing that's happening. I can't judge you because you've not changed anything you've done. I can't hear you saying anything different. And so I can't see the internal movements in you. And so Pharisees, I need to see some different fruit. It's why he's unwilling to baptize them. 
because they have been hurting people that are there. I mean, if I'm John the Baptist, there's this moment where I'm like, here's the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Yes, come on in. I'm so glad. What have you done wrong? It's about time. All right, I'm going to dunk you and I'm going to hold you there for a little bit longer because you've hurt some friends of mine and I want you to remember this moment. And okay, here, oh, you're not ready again. Okay, right? Like, like I want to do that. But instead he just calls him out and he's like, no, 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 no. I want to see some fruit. I want to see some action in your life. You see, an inward change and an outward confession without any action isn't helpful for us. It's why today when celebrity, athlete, musician, or maybe it's just a pastor that you know, has to make a public apology, we all sit back and go, we'll see. We don't know whether the inner conviction was real. We hear their words, but we're all cynical. So we're looking for the ongoing action. Now, now let me be careful here. That ongoing action is not perfection. Mistakes are still going to be made. Maybe even the same ones that they were convicted of and they've apologized for. Right? Change doesn't always happen overnight. There's long rhythms and patterns that we have that take time. The goal is consistent change over time, not everything at once. In this text, Paul uses the illustration of a tree. And I think that totally is appropriate. On our, our place where we live, uh, we have a crabapple tree. That crabapple tree, my kids love to climb that tree. My kids love to, to get the apples and knock them down because they'll attract deer that come and they eat the apples. And as I walk by this tree every day, I can look at it and most of the fruit that I see is healthy, good fruit. Are there a few that aren't? Yeah, there's some that end up having worms. There's some that get rotten before. There's some that are really weird shaped. But overall, it's all healthy, good fruit. If at any point I'm walking by and I begin to see more bad fruit than I do see good fruit, that's a sign to me to go, ooh, there is something unhealthy here. There's something, maybe the root system, maybe it's infested with pets. Maybe so, so I've got to call an arborist and come out and go, I don't know anything about this. Can you help me understand what's going on? And then we're going to put a protocol in place to over time, slowly make the tree healthier. And I keep watching it. And I'm not looking for it to be a perfect tree with all good apples. I'm looking for it to have more good apples than bad. That's the idea of ongoing action. That as we are in relationship with one another, we're going, I'm not expecting perfection from you, but I am looking for a consistency of things. And when that's not met, how can I give more grace? Now, I told you that if we study repentance from a full biblical perspective, there's sort of those three movements to it. Sometimes they happen over time. Sometimes they're really, really quick altogether, right? Like life is more ambiguous than I wish it was. But the goal of saying yes to the inner conviction and that invitation that Jesus has for us to then saying out loud and admitting that I need some help in this and then putting some steps in place to get more going is all for one really big goal. And that is that repentance is relational reconciliation. The goal of it is that you and I or me and God would have a healthier, better relationship. That is always the goal of repentance, which makes it hard because it feels very vulnerable to step out and say, hey, I've messed up. Especially when we're in a relationship with people 
that we don't know that they're going to extend grace and forgiveness to us. So I don't know that I want to risk it. Which I think takes me back to the first point, only God can truly convict. And so I have to let go of what their response might be and instead be obedient to what God is calling me to do. Oh, one of my favorite texts that I cling to is, as long as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Which means I've got to do everything that I can in my life to reach out to people, to stay in right relationship. Which means I need to habitually practice repentance. Let God deal with them in the same way that he's dealing with you. Because that inward thing, scripture says that you and I can look on the outside, but God sees the heart. You have no idea what God is doing inside of people. So let's trust the Holy Spirit that the Spirit is better at convicting than I am. My job is to stay in right relationship with God and as much as I can with others. So what does that have to do with Lent? Well, Lent is an entire season of repentance and renewal. It's a season where we engage in these spiritual practices and we open ourselves up and we go, God, I'm going to lean into this and open myself up to the work of the spirit of what you're doing. So God, would you come and convict me of things now that I need to repent of before I get caught? God, would you just examine me and and see me? And when you do that and God puts that door there, can I just tell you how beautiful it is to step through? That repentance should be an ongoing thing. This is what the Pharisees missed. We've got Abraham as our father. Look at this thing in the past and where we come from in this heritage. And John's like, no, 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 no. If that was, if it was just stuff of the past, God can pull up rocks right now that are descendants of it. No, no, no. I'm calling you to repent now, not just of things from the past. It's an ongoing thing. God is saying, hey, right now, would you just lean in to this season? And you have a choice. It's why I love that we've called this series Realistic Rhythms of Grace. Did you know that when you repent before God, he always has more grace for you? You cannot out-sin the amount of grace that he has. He always has more. It's one of the most beautiful, mind-boggling things to me about our God. And yet I know there's going to be this moment. There's going to be this moment where you're going to go to God and you're going to go, hey God, um, so I've been practicing this thing called Lent in this season and, and I need to own up to some stuff and I'm sorry. And you're going to think that God is surprised by that. Nothing surprises him. In the same way that when you go to somebody that you know and you're like, hey, I screwed up. They're like, yeah, I know. I, it was to me. God knows all things. You're not going to surprise him. And so you get to go to God and go, hey, hey, God, um, I messed up again. He's going to go, I know. No, 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 God, but, but here's, like, I, I'm convicted of this and I need to just own up to that and I'm so sorry. I know. No, God, but, but this thing that I did, I can't believe that I did it. I know. God, I, I promise you I'm never going to do it again. That's a lie. And when you do, there's more grace. 
This is the beauty of our God as he meets us right where we're at. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm not asking you to never do it again. I'm asking you to keep the habit of repentance that you learned during Lent all year long. Would you just consistently come and own your stuff? That is the beauty of the resurrection of Jesus is there is now no more shame and condemnation for those that love him. So I don't have to hide anything. It's not about not doing it again. It's about staying in right relationship and repentance allows us to do that. It was Martin Luther who said the life of the Christian should be a life marked by repentance. It's an ongoing thing. And let me just tell you, it's not scary at all. It's sacred and beautiful and freeing. So quite simply, to to launch this series, that's the invitation. The invitation is to just lean in like the crowd and say yes. To say, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to open myself up between now and Easter to what you want to do in my life. That I would let you come and examine me and that we would practice repentance. And the rest of this series is going to be different tools and, and aspects in scripture that help us to do that. And so would you say yes? If you want to say yes, there's some stuff, right? You already heard from Dina, right? The realistic rhythms of grace, this curriculum that we wrote to mirror and go along with this series. You can go to the information desk right after this and pick one up, get in a circle, invite family and friends or by yourself and just go, okay, I'm going to use this to help guide me in that. And then maybe it's a thing where you go, hey, this is a season where I'm... For the next six weeks, I'm just going to say yes to coming to New Hope every single Sunday. That that's going to be a new rhythm where I'm just, is a way to introduce and say, okay, God, I want you to speak in to my life. The door is open. Would you say yes to the invitation? Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for John calling out in the wilderness. That as he prepared the people to interact with you, God, would you now prepare us to celebrate your resurrection as well? Spirit, even now, maybe there's things that people know that they're like, gosh, I I don't need to wait I already know what it is. Would you give them the courage to say yes to it and not just walk away this morning and go on with the day and forget what you're calling them to right now? And Father, we thank you for grace. Grace upon grace. It's in the name of Jesus that we say these things. Amen. Amen.